0: Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide
1: myself in Thee. Yeah, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Yeah, it's Eric and Rita here, McLaren. I have the great pleasure to announce uh, Eric and Rita McLaren as members of Creekside Church. Uh, a couple elders uh, met with them and heard their testimonies and how they came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and know him as their Lord and Savior And uh, they're going to join us here in membership. They're also Brent McLaren's parents. You guys know Brent So we want to thank you, you guys want to stand up just for a second Yeah, great. All right We're, uh, we're going to commit them to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for each one that you bring into the body of Christ through the shed blood of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We love him, we obey him, we thank you for him. We thank you for Eric and Rita and McLaren. We pray your blessing to them at Creekside Church. Help us to bless them as well. and You would use their gifts to serve the body of Christ. In Jesus' name,
2: amen. Thanks, Norb. Uh, just a couple of announcements. There are a lot of things in the bulletin. Just encourage you to take note of those things in the bulletin. I just ask you to continue to keep uh, Christine Nice Warner in your prayers as she uh, recently went underwent surgery. So uh, please continue to pray for her and her full recovery. We have. Uh, special day today. In many ways, it's a good day to be with the Lord, but we have a couple of people that are following the Lord in uh, obedience and uh, into the waters of baptism today, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time delaying. I'm going to ask uh, Hannah if she would come, and uh, she's going to share about her uh, relationship with the Lord and, and read a passage of scripture, and then I'll be sharing uh, for uh, for Doc or Don Rohde. Okay, Hannah.
3: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's so glad to be here this morning, and it's a big day. So, And I'm not really good at my speech, so forgive me. <laughs> OK. So I'm from Thailand. Those who uh, don't know me yet, and refugee camp. Uh, I came from refugee camp. I came here in 2007. And um, growing up as a Christian in the Christian family, and I always go to a church, Sunday school. So my parents are here today, and my sister, and my brother in law there, and my man, and my family member is here to come and witness. So I'm very happy and nervous at the same time. But I just wanted to uh, tell a story a little bit about uh, my testimony today before my baptism. Uh, growing up, and like I say, I always go to, I always enjoy as a Christian. Um, when I was younger, I always go to Sunday school and then having uh, experience with my friends and then family members, and then we have a good community in um, Christianity in Thailand, so I really um, appreciate that and that God is always there, that's why I knew. And then my other one, uh, I want to share uh, two passages today from the Bible. The first one I want to share is uh, John three sixteen. It's always my, one of my favorite. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that is um, very true to me. And it's, uh, I mean, he always loved me. He never left me behind or you know, always be my side. So, and that's when I personally trust in him in, in Christ. And when I got older, that's when I know uh, most of the, um, you know, when you get older, you more becoming more knowledgeable and then more smarter. <laughs> and uh, so I learned a lot about that. And personally with him, uh, and I have experience with, like, for example, when I needed him or when I am trouble or even feel it down, he always like, you know, he's always answered me, and he's always there for me. So I, I really appreciate um, coming here also. I've been coming here at, since I came to United States and the church here. So I really appreciate all of the members here and everyone that I meet. And my last one, I want to change. Um, well, it, it changed life because being a Christianity in all of your life, and you just, uh, like, really... It, it just touched, you know, my life, my, my uh, entire life, because if I can remember correctly, like, the, the story of uh, when I lost my grandmother, and it's always sad to talk about it, but I just want to share because uh, God is always there for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> yeah. when she passed away, um, I, I was in denial. I always say, like, I always question, why? Why her? But I pray to him, of course. I pray, pray, and I always, then he answered me, and I also read more of his words in the Bible, so. And then I love that he gives and takes away, so that's when I realized. But in the end, it's always the happiness because I know that my grandmother is in a better place and in his hand. So we'd love to share this um, Philippians 4, uh, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So that is all my testimony today. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Hannah. I am going to share for Don. Um, he uh, would Rather not uh, he's going to get baptized but it's uh, getting up here and sharing so i'm going to share some thoughts that he and i talked through and things that he shared with me and uh, don just said that uh, you know up until a year ago um, he he knew about jesus uh, and knew knew about christ but he was kind of getting caught up in all that was happening in the world and all that was happening and had happened in his life and so uh, he he knew that he was fearful and that he was afraid, and he needed something solid to rest his life on, and so he said that he knew the rock was Jesus, and that uh, the answer to his fear was uh, to put his faith or his trust fully in Christ. And so the verse that he shared is John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but might have everlasting life. Uh, he had realized you know that, that christ had made that sacrifice on the cross for him and risen from the dead to prove that uh, he was indeed the son of god and he he wants to, don says i want to honor uh, the lord and uh, i know personally that he did what he did on the cross and why he did it and uh, uh, personally and he's personally trusting in christ for his forgiveness forgiveness of his sins and uh, I'm going to read Psalm 23, which is the passage that Don was wanting to have read at his baptism. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I'm going to ask the two candidates for baptism to follow me and we'll go back and if you'll bear with us, it'll be a minute or two and we'll get this going. For Hannah, first of all, Hannah, are you trusting in Jesus Christ and his death alone as the payment for your sins? Yes, I do. Uh, do you understand that uh, being baptized is an outward invisible sign of uh, the internal and spiritual relationship that you have with Jesus? Yes, I do. And do you understand that going into the waters of baptism doesn't accomplish your salvation, but is merely a testimony that you are uh, a child of God? Yes. I want you to step forward just a minute, okay? Are you ready? Okay, you ready. Okay, then I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> T- well, you stand up here for right now. You stand up right here. He's a little taller, so I'm going to have him get down when he gets baptized. But Don, are you trusting in Jesus Christ and His death alone as a payment for your sin? Yes, I am. Do you understand that baptism is merely an outward, invisible sign of what's true for you spiritually and internally? Yes. And do you understand that baptism doesn't accomplish your salvation, but just announces to the world yes. that you're a child of God? Yes, I do. Okay, then you get get down here and you're ready. Gotta get you, pull it back. So, get down on both knees, but Okay. And I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.
0: See my hands, look at my feet. It's over. it's hard to believe. I have faith you will do greater things. It's my time to go, but before I leave,
2: praise team very thankful for all the preparation young people you are dismissed for sunday school and can go out at this time appreciate that thank you for the exciting time baptisms are always a encouraging time for me and i think and trust that they are for you as well it's uh, wonderful to hear how God works and how he has worked in people's lives. So I want to welcome you here this morning. If you are here and you happen to be here as a guest, uh, this happens to be your first time or you're listening online for the first time, for those who are here in person, uh, the bulletin has a little extra flap on it and if you would uh, be so kind as to fill that out and put it in the offering box as you leave that's on the welcome table, we would sure appreciate it. Just a record of. Uh, having you with us we're just grateful for your presence and if you're part of our church family you can use that flap as well i don't know what else to call it it's an extra deal that uh, if you have a prayer request or something you'd like to let us know we'd sure appreciate you doing that for us this morning i'd invite you to uh, just uh, look to the lord with me in prayer as we prepare to worship through the study of his word father i thank you that you're faithful You're faithful to call us. You're faithful to pursue us. You're faithful to instruct us and to guide us in our our walk with you. I just pray now, Lord, that as we open your word that your spirit would speak in and through me. I pray that you would speak to each of us. I just have been thinking about these truths, Father, and I just really know that I want you to not just inform my mind, but I pray that you'd you'd be working to transform me and each of us by the power of your Spirit through your Word, that we might be the people, the church that you've called us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, I've listened to the radio a little bit here in the metro area, and there's a One of the advertisements kind of strikes me, it's the McCall Monuments. And some of you have heard that advertisement, some of you haven't. But they they say, they make this claim, they they make monuments and it says, we've never called on a grieving family and we never will. We do monuments. So that's all they do is monuments. They're not into solicitation or anything like that. They know what they're about, they're clear on their mission. And I appreciate that. Now, if I were to ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, are you clear on your mission? Are you clear on our mission? Every one of you, when you, well, most every one of you, walked through those doors into the sanctuary, you would have seen above you on the door our mission. Leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. Well, that wasn't just picked out of thin air. In fact, the passage that we're going to look at this morning is the basis for that statement we're studying the book of Matthew and for some of you like you're sighing relief because we're coming to the conclusion of the book of Matthew today in Matthew chapter 28 verses 16 through 20 and Matthew has crafted his text in a way that has proven that Jesus is the king of Israel but also that he's lord of the nations he's not just the king of a specific people group And he's given us a great commission in this passage. And the commission is to make disciples, to lead people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. It's central to all we do. So that the preaching of the Word of God, the singing of the truths about God, baptizing people, having young people go to Sunday school and learn about God, Spending time in our families talking about God. Ministering to youth and students the truths about God. Caring for mothers of young children and on and on. Those are avenues for making disciples. They aren't the sum total of it, but they're avenues that we have, the vehicles for making disciples. So before departing the earth, Jesus not only entrusted us with the responsibility, but he equipped us with resources to carry out the ministry until he returns. And that's the subject of the text we're going to look at in Matthew chapter 28. And I invite you to turn there if you would. If you have a Bible, there are Bibles underneath the seats in front of you. If you don't, or if you're on your phone or your iPad or whatever you want to look at, we're in Matthew chapter 28. Begin. I'm going to read through verses 16 through 20. And in this text, I think gives us three resources for keeping making disciples the main thing in our lives and in our ministry. Matthew chapter 28 beginning with verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Three resources that Jesus gives us to make making disciples or to keep making disciples the main thing. And the first resource that we have is we're, we're given the motivation. And the motivation for making disciples and the motivation centers around the person. And it's the person of Jesus. The question we have to ask is uh, about Jesus, I think, is does the one who issues the directive have the authority that commands our respect, and obedience? Is he the one he's telling us to do it, but why should we listen to him? I've flown a couple of times in 20... Well, once in, just at the end of 2021 and, and in 2022, and things haven't changed. You know, you go to the airport, and you have to go through the TSA security line. And this is it interesting to me that everybody in the airport who's flying, has to do what the TSA agents tell them to do. You have to walk this way. You have to take stuff out of your pockets. You have to take your belt off and put it in the little bin. You have to take your shoes off. Or if you're an elderly person or if you have TSA pre, you don't have to do that. You have to take off your jacket. You have to put all your stuff in a bin and figure it through. You do exactly what they tell you to. Why? Because they have the authority to tell you what to do. And if you don't do it, you don't fly. And Jesus comes to the end of his ministry, his earthly ministry, and he commands our respect because of who he is. And there's two ways that he convinced the disciples then and that should convince us now that he has authority. First is through his appearance. Jesus had told his disciples in Matthew chapter 26, hey, after I've been going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be beaten and bruised and killed and crucified, and then I'm going to rise again the third day, and I'm going before you to Galilee. We saw a couple of weeks ago that the risen Christ had told the women who came to the tomb, go back and tell my disciples to go ahead of me into Galilee, and I'll meet them there. And now we see in the text that... Jesus came to Galilee. Interesting, this place, Galilee, because we first encountered Galilee back in chapter 4, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 15, that Jesus began his ministry in Galilee, and quoting Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, Galilee of the Gentiles. And now we have Jesus at the end of his ministry, ending his ministry where? In Galilee of the Gentiles. I don't think that's accidental. I think it's probably instrumental in us understanding that Jesus is King of Israel but also Lord of the nations. It's his redemptive plan is for all people, all people. And so they, I think, the disciples made a trek of about a 100 miles from Jerusalem where Jesus had been crucified up into Galilee, where he had specified by faith, trusting, OK? Jesus said we're supposed to go there. The women who saw Jesus said we're supposed to go there. So let's go there and see what happens. And what did they see? They saw Jesus. Okay? They saw Jesus. They saw the risen Christ. And here he is. And when they saw him, confirming what they had been told, that he would be crucified and rise again the third day, and it happened just as Jesus had said. Paul says later in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, that he is declared to be the Son of God in power by the resurrection from the dead. His resurrection confirmed his identity as uh, the Son of God. And we see that only two possible responses that you could have to going to Galilee and seeing Jesus. And the first is that they worshipped him. They worshipped him they prostrated themselves in humble devotion before the risen Christ, acknowledging Him as the sovereign Lord who alone is worthy to be worshipped. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, and Revelation chapter 22, verses 8 and 9, John uh, was informed by an angel of some stuff. And John is caught off guard, and so what does John do? John prostrates himself before the angel, and the angel says, No, do not worship me, worship God. This would be an interesting, I did, uh, in, in my reading for the preparation for the sermon today, one, one author kind of went off on a tangent, he says, you know, you have these little people that visit you uh, with the, the little black ties and, and, uh, from the Latter-day Saints, or you have these people who are uh, the witnesses of Jehovah, and you could invite them in, you could take them to this text, and who receives worship but God alone? This is Jesus, and he didn't tell them, oh, get up, you know, not like the angel told John, get up, I'm just like you. No, worship God. He is God. He accepted and received the worship as God only would receive it. But some were doubtful. That's a puzzling thing, you know. They're like, I think, this is my take on it, you don't have to agree with it, I think they were struggling, some of them were struggling to fully believe. They were the, I have faith, Lord, but increase my faith. They had the little faith. Struggling to fully believe that this was actually Jesus, even though Jesus had predicted it, even though the women had proclaimed it, even though Jesus was present in front of them, they were still struggling a little bit, kind of like Peter getting out of the boat, right? Uh, Yeah, 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 you're there, but I'm, I'm still struggling a little bit. And I, I find comfort in that because we oftentimes struggle too. But they were a little bit doubtful. weren't fully convinced that this really was Jesus who had said he would rise from the dead. And so he spoke next into their doubt and to ours. The second way he confirms his authority is not just through his presence but his affirmation. In verse 18, uh, Jesus said, "...and came, Jesus came up and spoke to them." They saw him and he spoke to them. So physically, they had these tangible representations, evidence that this really was the the living Christ. And the, the, the remedy for their faltering faith rests in the power of the risen Christ. He says all, all authority. Now, I had a professor in seminary, and this is what he used to say, all means all, and that's all all means. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. So where does he not rule supremely?
0: Everywhere he rules.
2: He rules everywhere. It's a declaration. You don't have to believe it. You don't have to accept it. You don't have to Go along with it, but Jesus is saying that absolutely all and all inclusive power and authority rests with me, the risen and reigning King, in every realm, in heaven and on earth. This is a declaration of omnipotence, which only God has all power and all authority, that He has all this authority. And think about this. Jesus is ruler over all the authorities of heaven. He's ruler over all the animals on earth. He's the ruler of all the forces of nature and all the founders of nations. He's a ruler over our opportunities and the outcomes. He's a ruler over disease Over demons, over disaster, over sin, and over death. There is nothing over which he does not have absolute authority. And he says to his meager band of followers, look, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Interesting though, given to me. You have your Bibles or you have your device, a little sword drill. Go back to Daniel chapter 7. I decided we didn't put this up on the screen. We're going to do that for you. Uh, We'll do the old-fashioned way. Because the prophecy in Daniel, Jesus is saying, I think, that he becomes... It's predicted by Daniel and it's fulfilled by Jesus. What Daniel said in Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. I kept looking in the night visions and behold with clouds, the clouds of heaven, one like the Son of Man was coming. This is Daniel chapter 7 verse 13. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, that's God the Father, and was presented before him and to him, that is, the Son of Man, was given a dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Now get this, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. All authority has been given to me. In heaven and earth, supreme authority. We can look at Ephesians chapter one, verses twenty through twenty-three. It says, "Which he brought, God did, brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and sealed him at seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come." And he put—that is, God the Father put all things in subjection under his, that is Jesus' feet, and made him, Jesus, head over all things to the, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He has been given by the Father, within the Trinity, within the Godhead, all authority is given to him. If you ever been to a college basketball game, a college football game, maybe even in a Wells Fargo Arena to a state tournament or anything, you see these people running around. Sometimes they have little hats on. They have little yellow or little black jackets, CSX or something like that. Security, like they're the security people. You know, they're just uh, Paul Blart, the mall cop people. You know, they're 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 just hired guns. You know, but they don't have guns. They don't even have mace. They just have a jacket. And they have authority over everybody who attends. But once you walk out the door, they can't do diddly squat. Their authority is absolutely limited to that realm. Jesus has all authority. The source of the command that Jesus gives to us and to his disciples as the supreme and sovereign God of the universe sticks because it motivates Our compliance. Paul said it. He has given him a name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Things in heaven and things on earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11. Jesus is Lord with authority given by and equal to the Father. That's what he says. Regardless of what we think. I like what David Platt said. He asked this question. He says, do I confess him as Lord today? Or will I confess him as Lord someday when it's too late? He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead And he is Lord. Whether we acknowledge him as that now or not, he is Lord. And my call and my invitation and my plea with you is, don't wait till it's too late to acknowledge him as Lord. Take a lesson from Hannah and from Don and surrender your life to Christ before it's too late. Jesus has absolute supreme authority over us as the one worthy of worship. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, he he has purchased with his blood from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and he is worthy. Worthy is the lamb. And his instructions deserve our unquestioned and our utmost compliance. You know, uh, anybody here, I mean, most of us here, what, paid our taxes? I'm not going to take hands. I don't want to get there. I mean, (laughs) I hope you paid your taxes. Uh, why? the Lord Jesus has far more authority over my life than the IRS and yet I'm fully compliant with the IRS his authority should fuel our disciple making activity now and especially as we anticipate that one day in Revelation chapter 7 we're going to join the saints in heaven worshipping the lamb he has given us this resource We're motivated for making disciples because of who he is. Secondly, we're given the instruction for making disciples. Therefore, is an important word in the Bible and in language, therefore points us back and points us forward. And here in Revelation, or I mean sorry, Matthew chapter 28, 18, it 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 tells us that, that on the basis of Jesus' authority, he entrusts us with and he empowers us for a mission that he expects us to accomplish. Go therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The central and ongoing activity of every believer and every believing church is to make disciples. Well, what does that mean? Of every nation, every people, every tongue, every tribe, every people group. That's why we have over our. You can look at it when you walk out. Okay, you <laughs> turn around. Be a log jam. Uh, Leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. Everywhere. Leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. Without partiality, without uh, drawing attention to ourselves, without trying to gain popularity, we're leading people everywhere. And a disciple are those who trust Christ as Savior and follow Him in a life of continual growth and obedience. Not just converts. Not just people who came forward one day and said, yeah, I, I, I kind of, I think I, I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to trust Jesus. That's part of it. But it's not just coming to Christ. It's continuing in Christ. It's not just conversion. It's transformation. It's maturing and growing and becoming more like Jesus. I want you to watch this little video clip of... Uh, Comparing and contrasting, comparing Tiger Woods with his son, if we can get it up here, I think. Nope. It's not going to happen? Okay, can't show it. So, that's that's good. Technology is wonderful until it doesn't work, right? Okay, well, anyhow, the, the, the point is that Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 40, he said... A, a, a disciple, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Okay? When you're fully trained, you'll be like your teacher. Children go into the likeness of their parents. Sometimes to the parents' chagrin and sometimes to the children's chagrin. You know? Oh, you're yeah, acting just like your dad. You're yeah, acting just like... Him. No, don't tell me that. That's the worst, you know, worst thing, right? You no, know, we become like our parents. Making disciple has, disciples has at least three components. These are the characteristics of disciple-making. First of all, so the one command in the text, if you look at the text of Matthew chapter 28, is make disciples. Okay? Then there are three modifying verbs or modifying words. They're called participles in English. I'm not an English grammarian expert, but this is what they, they modify the main verb. Okay? So, go is the first one. Or you might translate it because it should be as you are going. And this is where we should begin a little uncomfortable, okay? So as you are going, make disciples. Means intentionally taking the good news of Jesus uh, to people, introducing people to the work of Christ in our lives, in our homes, in our workplace. When you're sitting on the, in the bleachers, when you're checking out at the cash register, when we're interacting with the repair person, when we're talking to our neighbors, we're supposed to be spreading the good news of Jesus and showing and sharing the, the, the love of Christ. Wherever we naturally are, as you are going, this is part of our life, is supposed to be characterized by that. It means intentionally taking the good news To people cross-culturally like our team that goes to Haiti or like those from our church family who are serving in Romania or other parts of the world but also as we interact with people around us in our communities we have Caucasians we have people from African nations we have people from Asian nations we have people from all over the nations we should be interacting with them and presenting Jesus not just through our words but through our actions Luke chapter 24, verse 47, Luke reveals this. Uh, I I described it as kind of an echo of Jesus' call, but also an explanation of Jesus' call. Listen to what he says. And that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. So disciple-making means going and proclaiming repentance for forgiveness of sins, In the name of Christ. So believers and churches are supposed to be mission giving. Mission going. Mission sending. Mission praying. Outposts. We're supposed to be about the business of making disciples. Sharing and showing the love of Christ. We have to communicate to people. That we are fallen creatures. That we are sinful. And our natural bent is to go against God. And that because of that we deserve His wrath and His punishment. Rightly so. But that Jesus came and he, he, He lived on this earth as a perfect sacrifice and he died on the cross and his death on the cross paid the debt that you and I do owe because of our sin he rose again proving that he conquered sin and death and we are calling people to accept this personally that his death and his resurrection is for you and that you personally not just because your parents did it not just because grandma did it but because you are embracing what Jesus did on the cross and that you can experience Forgiveness of sins. And I would be remiss if I didn't say that if you've never personally put your faith or your trust in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross as a payment for your sins, I challenge you, I implore you, I beg you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. Right now, say, I'm a sinner. I deserve to die. I accept what Jesus did on the cross. And right now, I want to turn from my self-directed life, and I want to live and surrender to Jesus. Now, the words you say aren't magic. It's what's in your heart, because God looks at the heart. That's all it amounts to. But it's, just, it's a big deal. We've been watching The Chosen in one of our small groups, and uh, uh, Jesus said in The Chosen, it's not in the Scriptures, but He says, He uh, says, It's not easy. I I don't ask my disciples. When I ask my disciples to follow me, it's not easy. It's it's no problem for people who don't follow me. That's not a problem. But when you follow me, it's not easy. And I invite you to not easy. Because not easy is glory. And easy leads to hell. This is the gospel that that we preach. Believers are going and we must deliberately introduce people to Jesus. and, 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 And that's what it means. And then we instruct them to believe in Jesus. You know, it warms my heart when I hear stories like Brother Norb, uh, not the one you shared this morning. That was a heartwarming story. But when Brother Norb tells about, you know, a repairman came over to his house and he just got to talking to him about his faith and uh, where that guy goes to church and what, where he's at in his walk with God. And, you know, and, and Norb shares the gospel. It warms my heart when Brother Anand talks about uh, how he's gone out into the, the Hindu temple and shared the gospel of Jesus Christ because the Hindus have 30, 60, whatever, how many thousand gods. And so they welcome people to come in to share about their their God and Anand tells them as an Indian to the Hindu people that Jesus is the only way. It warms my heart when Mark and Jessalyn share stories about how they, uh, during COVID, how they had the, the afternoon clubs, the good news clubs in the afternoon and they invite people into their, from their neighborhood and share the gospel with these people. This is it, folks. This is making disciples. And guess what? When I hear those stories as a follower of Jesus, I want to be more like that. That's discipleship. That's making disciples. It's not about what necessarily only what we do in relationship to that person, but how it impacts other people. That's what it means to make disciples. Believers who have never shared the gospel of Jesus Christ are not fulfilling our calling. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal peace people, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. Why? Why did God choose us? That you might proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. He saved me so I could share with other people where to find life. That's why He called us. And we can show the gospel through our actions. You know, some people go, I know they say this. Mother Teresa, she had it right, you know. Preach the gospel all the time, and if necessary, use words. Yeah, well, I got a thing. A verse called Romans 10, 17. It says this, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. No, I'm not trying to diss Mother Teresa. She did a great and glorious work. But we preach the gospel with the word of Christ. Yes, we should live out the gospel, but we preach it when we proclaim the word of Christ. The gospel is, as Paul said, the power of God unto salvation. If we really believed it was the power of God of salvation, then why am I so silent? Romans 1, 16 and 17. David Platt says this, the scripture knows nothing of disciples who aren't making disciples. Pause is intentional. We need to be about making disciples. Our mission is not without opposition, but Jesus gave us a promise. He said that the gospel will go forth into all the world, this is my paraphrase, before I return. That's Matthew 24, verse 14. We have opposition, but we know there's a completion. Go, baptizing them into the name. Now get this, the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Ah, Take your JWs, and take your Latter-day Saints to this one, and say, look, looks to me like Jesus is just as important as the Father and the Holy Spirit. It's an equality of the persons in the Trinity that we're baptized into the name of, into the relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all equal through our faith, because of our faith in the person of Jesus. Making disciples means introducing people to Jesus. It means inviting people to personally put their faith and their trust in Jesus. But it also means... Challenging them, calling them to testify to their inclusion in the family of God. Their affiliation with the local church and their submission in obedience to Jesus. That's what you saw this morning. When Hannah and Don, Doc, went into the waters of baptism. That's the glorious thing. They were testifying to their inclusion into the family of God. Their affiliation with this local church family and also their obedience to Jesus. Baptism is an act of obedience that pictures the spiritual union that we have with the triune God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now baptism doesn't accomplish our salvation, no. But baptism attests to it. I'm going to say something here. A follower of Jesus who has not been baptized is living in direct disobedience to Christ. A believer who has not been baptized is living in direct disobedience to Christ. What are you waiting for? And if you have questions about it, you want to talk about it, one of the elders will be at the back in the fellowship hall ready to meet with you and talk. This is not intended to shame you. It's intended to challenge you and me to follow Jesus in obedience, full-fledged obedience. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He doesn't call us to a cruise ship. He calls us to a battleship. It's time to take your place. You know what I really want to see? I want to see us doing this all the time. I want to see us sharing the gospel, people coming to faith in Christ. I want, maybe we should just keep it full. We can just keep dunking them. What a great, glorious thing to be a part of of the kingdom of God and he has called us to join him in this mission. And then he says this, it's going, it's baptizing, and it's teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That's verse 20. Making disciples means introducing people to Jesus. It means inviting them to put their faith or their trust in Jesus. It means calling them to testify to their union with Jesus. It involves instructing them in all that Jesus commanded. You say, okay, well, I have a red-letter Bible, so everything is in the red-letter Bible. That's what we tell them to do. Yeah? And everything else that's in the Bible. Because Jesus gave his divine approval on all of it. So it's teaching them everything. All that the scripture commands. So that we can take them to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he, and he says, these words which I am commanding you today. Shall be on your heart and you shall teach them Diligently to your sons and speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the way, when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall also put them as signs to your, on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You can stamp them on your forehead and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house. In 1 John chapter 2, John says, and, and this is how we know uh, we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments... The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. And he says, But whoever believes in him, or fo- whoever follows his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that he walked. He calls us to obedience to the word of God. So, teaching to observe involves instruction, but involves application. And you know what? what The the amazing thing to me is I think sometimes we think discipleship, making disciples, is some sort of a a, a program. Well, you know, if you come to the Bible study on Wednesday night, women's Bible study, I'm just using this as an example, so I'm not, again, you're going to hear people share about what God is teaching them. And you go, wow, that's pretty cool. What about that verse? I never thought of Romans chapter 14 and 15 when we were talking about unity in the body of Christ and how the body of Christ would, uh, is reflected as we're all one and one body in Jesus. But this morning, one of our brothers uh, brought that out in the, in the first service, and it was like, this is glorious truth. And he, it says there, and, and again and again and again throughout the entire Old Testament, the gospel is being preached to the Gentiles. <laughs> That's me. That's you. That's a glorious truth. I can hear stories about uh, God's moving and speaking to somebody's heart about putting in a bunch of tools to take on a mission trip that they were used, and I'm thinking, that's pretty cool. That really encourages me in my faith. That 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 motivates me to be sensitive to the Spirit's lead. That's discipleship. That's teaching them to observe all that uh, God has commanded. So it's not just formal teaching. It includes formal teaching. But discipleship is not a program. It's a process of our being conformed to the image of Christ over time. And then investing in others to make that happen for them. Or to to be facilitated and be used for that to happen to them. So that, you know. And it's never, never, never in isolation. Truth in the context of relationships is the Agent God's Spirit uses to change us so that's in the small groups. It's in your youth group. It's in the Bible studies. It's hanging out after church, talking to people and sharing what God is teaching. And can I pray for you? It's calling people on the phone. It's in relationships. It's in our family that God wants to use us. These provide an environment for us to be exposed to the truth and to be held accountable to the truth. The goal is not accumulation of knowledge, but of personal transformation. Not nearly, merely knowing what to do, but doing it. You know, I, You know, some of you have been growing up in the church, and it's like we sang that song, I almost stood up in the first service this morning, and we're standing on the promises while we're just sitting on the premises. We, we, we need to do something. You know, and you've heard that before, I'm, I'm sure some of you have, but it's like I think about it every time we sing that song, and we're sitting down. It's like we need to be uh, doing something. We have in our home uh, some beautiful pieces of black pottery, and it's uh, a pottery that's uniquely made. Uh, we got this from southern Hungary, and it's uh, fired and kilned in, in, in smoke. So that the the black smoke embeds into the clay. So it is black pottery. And the the one who learned how to do it learned from his father. And he learned from his father. And it was passed down from generation to generation. And this is the picture of discipleship. Making disciples is something we learn, something we practice, and something we pass on. So I I I have three questions for you at this point. Ask yourself, where am I honestly taught to observe all that Christ commanded? Where am I being honestly taught all that Christ commanded? What's the venue? What's the avenue? Is it in your home? Is it through the church? Is it on Sunday morning? Is it through the week? Is it through your personal devotional time? You're reading the word of God. Where am I honestly uh, being taught? Secondly, where am I held accountable? for practicing all that Christ commanded. And that's a, that's a hard one. Like, okay, we don't oh, I'll do my family devotions, but don't you ever ask me what God's teaching me? Or don't you ever say to me uh, uh, you know, maybe you shouldn't have, you know, you think that's honoring to God when you when you speak that way about another person? But that's what we need. Where am I being held accountable. And thirdly, where am I humbly, where am I humbly teaching others to observe? Is there, is there a context in which I am able to invest in other people's life? And I'm not, again, it's not necessarily a formal teaching time. It is, it is, what do my kids see? What do my peers see? What does my wife see? And then, it's not just in our context. I was read, I read I believe this I haven't checked it out didn't do a WikiLeaks check on it but there are six thousand unreached people groups. People who haven't heard the gospel or people in which there's just a very very small number of people who know Jesus. What are we doing about that? As individuals, as a church, becoming and making disciples is not easy. Okay, it's difficult. But Jesus gives us a reason not to lose heart. We are given motivation. We're given instruction. And finally, we're given consolation in making disciples. I love this. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All authority, omnipotence. Lo, I am with you, omnipresence. Always. Lo, I am with you always, even to the sovereign, living, eternal, risen Jesus is going with us. First game of my junior year, I was uh, playing middle linebacker, went to make a tackle, and the opposing lineman decided that my knee was a good target. And so he chopped chopped me out and blew my knee out. And I remember that my father came out onto the field and helped carry me off of the field. My dad's presence did not alleviate my physical or my emotional pain, but it provided me with a tremendous amount of encouragement and comfort. Jesus goes with us into the battle and he's there and he's present with us Christ's powerful presence doesn't doesn't eliminate the struggle to make disciples but it ensures the accomplishment of our mission and provides us with comfort that he is with us until he returns to the end of the age that's what he says and here's the deal we're absolutely utterly incapable of making disciples I mean We can't do it in our own strength. And he said that, Acts 1.8, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He said it in John chapter 15, verse 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Okay. So it's not about us. It's about God's Spirit working through us. But Paul said this, I can do all things. Because I've been to the rabbinical school and studied under Gamaliel and I've got a degree in you know, several languages and because I'm pretty a pretty charismatic guy and because I know how the Jewish mind works and blah, 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 blah. No. Through Christ who strengthens me. I can do it through Christ who strengthens me. And then uh, we can cling to the promise. Promises, a lot of promises, but I, uh, Psalm verse 56 has been kind of encouraging to me recently. He says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In God I will put my trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Now it's easy to say it, it's a little different when, you know, your job's on the line or your your, your grandma says, I'm going to disown you because you're talking about Jesus all the time or your kids are uh, saying, quit shoving this Jesus stuff down my throat, but it's still true. Oh, that we would accept the truth of Ephesians chapter 3.20 that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to his power which works mightily within us and we'd stop dreaming little pity baby dreams and start dreaming big dreams about God using us to make disciples in the world in our community our family and the world you know during the height of the the pandemic the governor of California required masks and uh, you couldn't go indoors for big gatherings and all that kind of stuff and you know what his mandates meant nothing to us living in Iowa But Jesus' mandate is universal. It's for everybody all over the world. Every child of God, every church of God is bound by it. We must be instruments of introducing people to Jesus in every people group, to the saving knowledge of Christ, inviting them to put their faith or their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, instructing them on what it means to live rightly according to God's word. And his presence goes with us to accomplish it. I'd just like to close with Matthew. Jesus is Lord. And I hope and I pray that you accept that Jesus is Lord. That I accept Jesus as Lord. Jesus is Lord. I hope and pray that you accept Jesus as Lord. That I accept Jesus as Lord. But I also hope and pray that we act like Jesus is Lord. Sean O'Donnell in his commentary put it this way, May it be so for the glory of God, the good of his church, and the salvation of the world, that Jesus is Lord. And we accept it and act like it. And and one of the ways that we acknowledge Jesus is Lord is by taking the Lord's table, the bread and the cup, in obedience to Jesus, whose death and resurrection confirm his divinity and compel us to ministry. So we, we humbly acknowledge we can't do it. So as you, as you prepare your heart, the praise team's going to come, they're going to play a song. Prepare your heart. You, you humbly acknowledge, Lord, I don't deserve your sacrifice for me. And if you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're welcome to take it. Our practice is that as you feel moved of the Spirit, after you've had a chance to search your heart and confess sin, that you'll get up and you'll make your way either to the table in the back or the table in the front. You'll take, use the tongs to take the bread. You'll take the cup. You can either take it back to your seat or you can take it while you're here. But you'll search your heart. And you'll humbly acknowledge that you don't deserve it, but you'll also gloriously thank God and, and for what He's done and Be motivated to serve him. Let's pray. Father, help us to joyfully embark on the mission of making disciples because of your authority in which we go, because of your presence that goes with us, and because of your power that will accomplish your mission. It's not us, it's you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.